Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And this will be the second part, the second half to the message that I started last week. And I didn't want to cut it off. I just wanted to keep going. But so that everybody could actually have lunch, we went ahead and ended it and made it a two-part series. So this week we'll finish off what we started last week there, Luke chapter 10, verse 16. But I'll do some introduction and I'll, I'll do some review of what we covered last week. Amy, good to see you. I'll do some, uh, some uh, catch-up for, for those that weren't here. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 16. And I want to pray real quick, one more time. Father God, we pray your Holy Spirit upon us, that he would work through your word. And uh, Father, I pray if there's one here that's not saved, that doesn't know you, uh, that your spirit would um, just invite them over, introduce them to Jesus, the God of this text. Father, that it wouldn't be my words this morning, but it would be your words that would minister and that would move. And Father, I pray... On this topic of evangelism, Father, that uh, our church would become united around it and that we can kind of speak freely this morning and openly, uh, no judgment, just in a a context of a wartime mentality. That's where we're at, Father. The devil is, is roaring. He's a lion. But you are the true lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil will always... uh, come up with a perversion of who you are and try to lure people away from Jesus. But, Father, Jesus is the only name that will last every name. And, Father, we pray that his name would be lifted up, that Satan would be kept far from this building. And, Father, we would do some real heart work this morning as it pertains to evangelism and reaching out with the gospel um, in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's go back, Luke chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll read all the way through to verse 16. And then from there, we'll do a little review, and then we'll get, get to um, the new stuff. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Interesting, right? That context, lambs among wolves, that's for those that are saved going to reach the unsaved. And you could also say that that context is for those that are saved going to those that think they are saved. And sometimes that's worse than the first, right? Just a thought. It's kind of what I'm getting here. Carry four, verse four, carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, It shall turn to you again, and in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick, and therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God, remember heaven first, the kingdom of God, is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter... And they receive you not, go your ways, out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. And notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. So twofold, it's come nigh to those that it's going to save, but the strong, strong reality in this text is that the kingdom of God is also going to come nigh to those that are not saved. And that's going to bear a different fruit, the fruit of wrath, than the fruit of the Spirit. But that's that's what Jesus is saying. This is what's riding on the line. Okay, go go back to verse number um, 12. But I say unto you, and here's that judgment, the fruit of wrath, that it it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than that, than for that city. So so that's where I'm getting the understanding that those that think they're saved. He's he's approaching this text from two different POVs here. You know what I'm saying? Look at it. 
Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented. In other words, they would have got right a long time ago. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes. How many of you know what that means? I just want to feel the pulse here. How many of you know what sitting in sackcloth and ashes? Don't be bashful. I'm just trying to get a pulse on who knows what that means. Okay. When you were in a form of repentance in that day and time, or mourning, if you will, there was a, a garment that was literally, ever seen a burlap sack that holds potatoes? They would literally take a burlap sack that was like that, and that's what they would wear. And they would cover themselves with ashes from a fire that had gone out, literally, and just streak them on their face. And that was a sign that they were in mourning, that they were in repentance. See, there there used to be, at some point in time, symbolism in our society that said, that person's going through something. But around here, it's, keep your face. Don't let them know you're going through anything. If you got a wall up, just let it down right now. I'm telling you, just let it down. Let the scripture speak to you. But I say it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, verse 14, at judgment than for you. Verse 15, and now Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. In other words, Jesus' backyard where he's been living and doing ministry work, if you didn't get it there, you're going straight to hell. That's pretty rough. He that heareth you, Verse 16, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. And we'll stop right there. We'll, we'll go to verse 24 here in a minute. So let's do a little bit of review. We're talking about evangelism. You men have those kind of shirts that you iron and it still doesn't. You know what I'm saying? That's one of these. I was trying to hold out and keep my coat on, but I, I just couldn't. I did iron it. What's an iron? I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. I would make some feminist comment, but I won't. I'll move on past that. <laughs> anyway, is this judgment-free zone today? We'll find out, won't we? They're taken to Facebook. Anyway, it's one of, the, one of these shirts, but... Priorities. So what we do, you can see there, it's like a speaker, like a megaphone kind of thing. And as Christians, how many of you know, or as people who have accepted the gospel, and you should know by now if you've been sitting through some of these messages, that Jesus isn't giving you the gospel to sit on it and to keep it for yourself. How many of you know that? Okay. So that's what this, that's, that's what this is symbolic of. We're walking through Luke in the sense that He has dealt with his disciples. Now, Jesus had had dealt with three people that came to him at the tail end of chapter 9 that wanted to be disciples, right? And and all three he dealt with different areas, comfort, financial gain, and, hey buddy, good to see you, and relationships that would keep you from becoming a disciple of of Jesus. And all three of them went away. So now we start off verse 1 in chapter 10, and he has 70 70 disciples that he's sending out. So the context is there are 70 people here that understand what they're supposed to do. They've stepped up to the plate. That's the qualifying factor. They're ready to go and spread the gospel. And Jesus takes 16 verses and he breaks it down for them. This is how you do it. How many feel like you're just not equipped enough to share the gospel sometimes? You can be honest. It's okay. Judgment free. Raise your hand. How many of you feel like, okay, this side's not equipped and you are. I'm going to go preach to y'all for a minute. That's because I stand over here, isn't it? Most of the time. It's that microphone. So we have the word of God to equip us. Ephesians talks about that. It's for the equipping of the saints. And if you've been coming, here's a shameless plug. If you've been coming on Wednesday night, you know that. I mean, it's digging deep into that. It, I mean, how many of you are blessed in that study? It is like really getting down to the nitty-gritty, nacho libre. Uh, it's, it's digging down deep, and it's letting us know that the Word of God is equipping us. We are here for each other to equip each other to accomplish a gospel work. So here's the point. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about Jesus. That's the message, okay? That's the gospel in a nutshell. So 
And Jesus equips these 70, and he says, I'm going to give you some priorities. Man, there we go. I'm going to give you some priorities um, so that you can be on point as you go about and do evangelism. So if you're not to the point yet where you're ready to share your faith, then these priorities are something that you want to consider. Because maybe you're not ready to go out and share that yet because you haven't considered these. So it's twofold. And if you're someone who's out talking about the Lord and you're sharing your faith and these priorities are out of whack, I'm going to encourage you to pull back a little bit and reset, reestablish yourself the way Jesus said to, and maybe your evangelism, what we do, will be a little bit more effective. Fair enough? Okay, fair enough? Okay, good. All right, so here's the priorities. Priority number one that we talked about was seeing the need. First priority is need. Say need with me. Need. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need it. That was weak. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need it. We all know what a need is, right? If you've been doing intermittent fasting like me, you find your need for food. And I've lost five pounds. Come on. You know that? <laughs> anyway. I was waiting the whole service just to say that. Just to, nothing else matters. That was, my, that was my hook right there. All right, have a great week. I'll see you. <laughs> anyway, I'm a mess. Y'all pray for me. So, <laughs> need. If I'm eating for five hours and I'm not eating for 19, when I'm not eating, that's when my mind tells me I need food. If you approach evangelism and you have no priority of need, then what are you doing? You're like a person who doesn't know when they're hungry. You just eat all the time. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. You know what I mean? But we understand that God gave us physical triggers, mental triggers to understand. He gave us uh, endorphins that are released. Our bodies chemically work in such a way that we can understand and have signals to tell us when we need to do certain things like rest, right? Those things tell us. They fire off in our internal beings. That's how we were made. We were created by design. That's an amazing thing, right? Evangelism is by design. We have to see the need. And we have to understand the need. And the need here, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. I established last week, go back and listen to it, but the need of what Jesus was saying was for laborers, not for harvest. Jesus is sitting on a gold mine of people that need to be saved and brought to the kingdom, and he doesn't have enough people to go out and pick the corn. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? So that's what I'm trying to do. I, in evangelism, there's tears to this thing. I am a person that sees that need and I'm trying to say, okay, come on, Brandon. I want to train you how to tell people about Jesus and then I'm going to send you on your way. Take a lap, right? Okay, you can come. Oh, he's going to go all the way around. Hurry, because you've got to be Brandon number two. And have a seat. So Brandon number one already went. Jesus did this 70 times. Come here, Brandon. Brandon number two. He sent 70 people out. Come on back. We have 68 more to go. <laughs> Sit down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so chapter 10 was Jesus saying, I understand the need. I'm not asking all of you to be in my position of teaching and training. We have a conference call on Tuesday nights. It's pretty cool. About Wednesday's curriculum for small group. And we're discussing things. We're talking about the curriculum. Why? Because we're trying to equip leaders. That see the need and send people out. So you could be the one going out, right? Or the one grabbing people, teaching them and training and sending them out. But you all have to go out. And we all have to have people that are sending people out. Why? Because that's the need. So if we're focused on the fact that the need is people going out, reaching people, then we're okay if we're those people going. Because that's a win. Or those people that are training. So you're equipping the pastoral ministry of those that are in the word of God and praying, which is where I am throughout the week, and I'm meeting with folks and I'm trying to, trying to encourage you in the Lord. Why? Because the need. The need. So we all understand. And that's where Corinthians talks about in chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, that everyone is given spiritual giftings for a specific reason. 
What's the reason? The need. That's the priority. Okay, the second thing, um, I probably should go to my notes. I'm going to re-preach the sermon. I knew it was going to happen. Obedience. If you have your Bibles open, uh, right there, chapter 10, the first need is found in verse 2. Therefore, saying to them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. That's the need. Verse number 3, go your ways. The second priority in discipleship, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, is obedience. The second priority in understanding the, the, the evangelism, gospel, however you want to put it, the Great Commission, is obedience. <laughs> How many of you know that this is lacking in the church? Obedience. I mean, it's lacking in child rearing. It's lacking all around. Huh. Seems like one flows into another. Seems like, so fathers be good to your daughters, you... Why? Because they become what? Mothers. John Mayer. Let's pull him in for an illustration. You understand? The way the world works, if you don't get obedience to your kid, you think they're going to obey God? Oh, oh, the pastor will teach them. Oh, the children's workers will teach them. If evangelism is a priority in your home and obedience is seen in the text, then you're going to teach your children to obey. Why? Because one day God's going to call them to evangelism. And they better say yes, but if you've taught them that it's okay to say no, if you've taught them that it's okay to do what you want to do, raise up a child in the way, he's, in the way he should go. Train up a child, rather. And when he is old, he will not depart from it, the Bible says. Everything works together. Jesus was not speaking out of turn, off cuff. He was the word of God. He was understanding the priorities of evangelism in this text. And he was saying, go. So here were 70 people that were trained to obey. Here we go. But what happens when you see the need for people to be reached? And you become that person, but you just have no follow through. That's a challenge. And if you struggle with that challenge, then you need to deal with it. Go back in your past. Find that place where you bristle about obedience, and you need to get that right and get that fixed because that is what's keeping you from doing evangelism. You just don't like people telling you what to do. I would get a raising of hands, but that might be embarrassing. How many of you? No. Hey, guess what? That's me. There you go. He's, he's being used in illustration. He's being honest. Way to be obedient, bro. Here's another thing that we don't consider. Personality has a lot to do with this. You know, I'm getting really into this. I've read a couple books about it, and I'm like on fire for this whole Enneagram, soul-searching thing. Me and Mike were talking about it. I was probably having a conversation with every one of you about it sometime this week. But have you evaluated yourself, how God made you, intrinsically to understand that you push back because that's how God made you? That's going to make a good leader. That's going to make someone who can go through a tough time and not quit. But if you're not careful, the devil knows you better than you know yourself. And he goes, watch this. I'll use this command of obedience to take that personality out of the game. Pastor Matt's trying to train leaders, and watch this. I'm going to tick that one off because he don't like to be told what to do. But if we're self-aware and we understand that there are certain things that we should do just because it's good and it's right for us to do, we won't bristle. We'll get into evangelism because obedience is a priority, and when the devil sends someone our way and tries to get us to quit, we'll, we'll quit the devil, and we'll obey Jesus. So that understand who you are. If you've never studied personality testings and getting into those things, become self-aware. I know I'm understanding myself better now than I ever have. Where I land in a spectrum of how God made me according to Scripture. Third priority was the operation of evangelism is a priority. We can't have rogue soldiers going out. <laughs> the church was, was made by design. We're learning that in Ephesians. And so if you have this thing of, man, I see the need. I want to be someone who's evangelizing. I'm going to obey and I'm going to go. But you have your own operation, your own way of doing it. You're going to fail. I don't mean that in a bad way. Once again, this is a personality issue. I'm going to do it my way. Pastor Matt thinks he knows. That's not the point. 
this is what I'm, this is, this is where I'm at. It ain't about me. I'm reading the word of God and I'm just saying, this is how Jesus told us to do it. Oh, it's all up to interpretation. First Peter literally said it's not up to private interpretation. There is strong exegesis that goes into preaching a message. You know, the Bible wasn't written in English. Did you know that? But we act like it because we're Americans and we believe everything should be in English. Everything was made in 1776. And if it wasn't made in the USA, then it ain't worth having. You know what? I'd, I'd rather have a German tool than an American tool. I think they're better engineered. I, I'm just saying. What am I saying? Don't let your ignorance of operations stop you from serving God. Don't let your personality pull you out of the game. The operation is this. Let me go back to my notes and scripture here. This, this is verse 10 through 15. Verse 4 through 9, look at it. Carry neither purse nor script. Go into it with a need that can be fulfilled by someone else. And that's that comfort piece. Go back and listen to last week's message because I'll sit here and preach that whole thing again and we have more, more ground to cover. There's a certain way that Jesus laid out for them to operate going into these houses. But the biggest one I'll talk about right now is using this word peace. We are engaging with non-believers in an attempt to separate them from their own internal hostility. That's the the most that I'll review on that. He told them to go into a house and say, peace be unto you. In other words, I'm coming from a different background. I'm coming from a different town, a different way of life, a different religion, and I want you to know peace. I don't mean like, uh, (laughs) I don't mean that. I mean, like, I'm not, I don't have a sword and I don't have a shield. I'm not here to go on the offense and I'm not here to defend myself either. That's why Jesus said, don't take food with you. Give an opportunity for them to fulfill a need. And if they're fulfilling your need, stay. Eat a while. Have conversation. This should be the operation of evangelism should be conjuring up some type of emotion within you because some of you are just absolutely unable to go without. Some of you are just absolutely unable to let someone else meet a need of yours. You're absolutely unable to do evangelism then. 70, go without all your stuff and just see what happens. Some of you, that just scares you to death. Oh no. I've got a granola bar for 9.58 a.m. And then when 11 rolls around, I just saw you laugh. I'm going to pull out this essential oil. And, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love so many. My wife, she's got the diffusers, and we've got the oils. And when the kids get sick, so I'm for you. But I just thought I'd use it. It, was, it worked. We're so planned, so many of us. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're going to plan yourself right out of the priority of evangelism for need to be present. Here's where it really makes sense, okay? It's not really about, it's easy for me to say, you've been going all day and you don't have a cheeseburger and you're hungry. You see the need for the cheeseburger, okay? But let's put this on the level that it truly is in in our cultural context. Listen, what about emotionally? What about emotionally? Let's take the financial implication out of it. And I believe that that's real today too, but what about your walls that you put up? The operation of discipleship called these 70 people to go into a part of, of a city, of a town in need. You know, it's okay. It's okay to show that you're not perfect. You know, it's okay to show that you may need love, that you may need forgiveness, my coworker, I'm going to tell you something. I just don't need that in my life. Anybody ever said that? Okay, well, if you don't need that, then you're taking over the operation. I'm going to run this my way. You know what I'm saying? I got this. Have you ever stopped and thought for five seconds that maybe the Lord orchestrated that whole situation for you to go to them and say, hey, I can't figure this out. Maybe it's the fact that I did something wrong. I just want you to know, I'm sorry. And then they look at you and they go, 
I've never been able to do that my entire life. I need forgiveness. I need you to forgive me. And I I can't tell you how many times it's happened in my life when I have showed compassion and mercy or when I have asked for forgiveness because I was wrong. And God just used that thing. I came without purse, without script. I came without those things, emotionally speaking. Spiritually speaking, I was inept. And in that situation, God saw the priority was the operation of the gospel. Oh, you're going to love on someone who's your enemy? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the operation of the gospel. We're, we're moving past cheeseburgers. We're moving past sitting down in their house for a meal. That's really not in our culture. It is in a way. Here's how we do it. Hey, you want to go get coffee later on this week? That's how we do it. Sure. Open door. And if he says, sure, then I'm going to be there. Then I'm going to have coffee. Then we're going to, man, we're going to talk and we're going to dig into those things. That's how we do it in 2018. We go to Dunkin' or we go to Starbucks and, and we, we eat those weird hard cookies that are terrible. I'm just, that's what we do. It's just like wax. I don't even know why. Okay, give me $6. Oh. I'm going to bring my own cookie, Starbucks, because I don't like your cookies, but I like your coffee, okay? No, I'm not, because the operation Jesus laid out said, don't bring purse, don't bring your lunch. I'm going to eat the cookies anyway. You understand what I'm saying? The operation should be the priority. The priority is not you being right. I could just mic drop right there. The priority is not you getting the promotion. The priority is their need for the gospel. We just stop right there and we can walk away from that text, ruminate on it all week and that would be enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the operation of what we do. What do we do? Well, here's what the average American says we do at church. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm just dealing with some congestion and yes, I hugged every one of you and I hope you all get it to share in my pain. Just kidding. I think I'm past the contagious part. Anyway. So here's my point. I'm trying to remember what my point was. Rabbit trail, there it went. Here's what we do. We come and we hug and we worship and we spend an hour and 15 minutes about talking, how, how, talking about how good Jesus is and our kids learn. And Is that what we do? Yeah, that's what church is. Then you're a consumer not a contributor. The gospel has to go past how we do church and it needs to land on what we do reaching a lost and dying world. If you think what we do happens with these four walls, then you're missing the gospel. You're missing the point. Do you understand what I'm saying? The operation of the gospel. Number, the fourth thing, I literally just preached this message again. The truth I pulled out the thought last week, verses 10 through 15, about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Jesus made a very direct point that Sodom and Gomorrah, it was better for them to be judged for just their sin than for all of these communities to be living in the church age, in the era where the gospel was present, where everyone could be saved, and witnessing what Jesus was doing and rejecting it. Hell will be hotter for all of those that are sitting in a position of piety rather than a position of sin and repentance. And Jesus went on to step further and he said, he didn't say Sodom, but I, I mean, we could venture to say the same context applies. That Say Sodom and Gomorrah. If they would have been exposed to the miracles and the works of Christ, they would have repented. They would have been in sackcloth and ashes. This story is perfectly depicted in the book of Jonah. When they were finally told about the truth, they were like, oh my goodness. The priority, number four, is the truth. Not your hobby horse or your sin or or what you think the Bible says. And this is where I think a lot of us fall into traps. I have friends that are homosexuals. Friends. People that I could call and say, hey, I need this. I need that. And they'd be like, sure. Sure. Man, some of you, you're like ghost white right now. (laughs) Take a breath. It's okay. It's going to be all right. 
friends who commented on my Instagram. I don't know if I posted this week. I'm pretty slack with that stuff. But you get what I'm saying. They're friends of mine. And you know what? They know I don't agree with their lifestyle. But you know what? That hasn't affected my friendship with them. And the truth is, in the gospel, is if they accept Jesus and not the way I feel about their lifestyle, they're going to go to heaven and not hell. But the son of a gun who has all his ducks in a row and has all his kids and he's got a good job and he's got a, you know, all the savings account that he needs and he goes to church or mass or whatever you want to call it once a week. And he's got it all together on the outside. And everybody would say, I just want to be that guy. But in his heart, he's going, man, I've got it together. I don't need number one operation priority Jesus. He's going to split hell wide open, harder than anybody who's living in sin who doesn't know Jesus. Do you understand what I am saying? The truth of outreach is that we are to go with one message. And that's Jesus. And we are to see it through the lens. Remember, our creed, lead with love. Understand that God loves you. And if you're going to talk about anybody's sin, you need to talk about your what? Your own. You will build relationships. You will let the gospel do its own heart work. And that's the truth. Get over yourself. And the truth is, is that hell will burn hotter for those people that said no to Jesus and yes to what they wanted, even for people who were living what you thought were the worst people in the world, who were never approached with that same type of love. Y'all doing okay? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Go to verse 16. That worked okay. I got 15 minutes to give you the last bit of this message. Because the priorities were still priorities this week as they were last week. My bad. (laughs) Verse 16, and then we're going to go 17 to 24. Okay? He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. He that despiseth me, despiseth him who sent me. Even Jesus passed the buck. Even Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. And you know what I'm saying? We got to chill. I mean it. Like, we need to calm down. I'm going to, yeah. It's not about what you think it's about. It's so much bigger than that. It's heaven and it's hell. And if we can look at this text and see that God just, God was telling these people that had the truth, this is how I would have approached Sodom and Gomorrah. And it would have been fine. But yet the American church, I, I just got to get back on the soapbox for just two more minutes. And then I swear I'll get off and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to my, my outline. But yet the American church wants to say, I'm going to rip on your lifestyle. Mm, that just gives me a headache. It really does. And I'm not saying that preaching on sin is wrong. <laughs> But when Paul preached on sin, do you know who he was talking to? Read the book of Corinthians. Who was he talking to? Read the book of Galatians. Who was he talking to? Excuse me? Oh, he was talking to y'all because y'all know better. Let me find out that there is sin going on in our church that's grotesque. And I'm commanding Matthew 18 to come to you and say, that ain't right. You need to straighten up. Why? Because there's a need. And if the world sees you putting your sin and your feelings and your flesh a bigger priority than the gospel, then you're going to damn them to hell. I'm to preach the truth in here. But see, what we've done is we've created a stadium instead of a church. We've created, I just about spit my cough drop at one of you and I'm sorry if I hit you with it. (laughs) We've created a room full of cheerleaders and the pastors are these insecure little knuckleheads that aren't getting their security from the word of God. And they're saying, agree with me, agree with me, say amen, hurry, tell me. 
so that I can get up here and tell you how you're supposed to live. And then you cheer him on, and then he tells you what the truth is. And now what we have is a whole church of everybody who looks the same, believes the same, and acts the same. Great job. You've, you've just built yourself a well-oiled machine. <laughs> How many people are you reaching? There are people in here this morning that are different from each other. And for us to insert hashtag political view and those things that do not matter in the gospel scope of things, is, is, it's a miss. It's like, you know, firing at Free State Gun Range and just turning around and starting to shoot at the wall. Man, check this out! I love this thing, man! Man, I'm just busting a cap off in this wall over here. They'd be in there like, whoa! What do you get out? <laughs> You're never touching the gun again. But like, no, this is cool. This is what you do. Shots fired. That's what we do here. <laughs> and I'd be like, downrange, knucklehead. There's a way you do this. And I feel like that's what our church's outreach looks like. We're firing shots in the wrong direction. And we're not feeding and loving in the direction that we should be. Okay, I'm getting off the soapbox. All right, done. Those are the priorities. Now that you understand, if you don't agree with it, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. That was a little much. I'm sorry. (laughs) And the 70 returned again with joy. Here's what I understand. If you'll take the priorities and you'll understand them the way I see them in in the text, the way Jesus is handing them, you're going to come back happy. That's how I see this thing. I might not be telling you something that you want to hear the way you need to hear it, you think. But that's not gonna, you're not going to return with joy. You're going to return with the same self-doubt because you're doing it the wrong way. You're going to return with the same problems. You're going to return empty-handed. Do you understand? I've done and tried discipleship and evangelism. I would say that our church is getting it somewhat right. I'm not saying, you know, our church is reaching people. That's happening here. We can witness it. We can see it, right? And, and here's what I find. We're all coming back happy about it. Wow! Yeah, woo, this is awesome. Because our priorities are straight. You understand? That's what I'm seeing in the text. Look at verse 18. And he said unto them, and here comes the guy to ruin everything. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents. Son, Jesus had a way with words. I sent you out to accomplish this gospel work, and you came back happy. Let me tell you why. Watch it, church. These are the tools that Jesus has given them. I saw the devil fall, and you know what he is? He's a serpent. He's something that bites when you step on him. You understand? He's deceptive. He's subtle. I behold Satan fall, verse 19. I give unto you power to tread on them and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. That's what I'm saying. And nothing shall be any means, nothing shall, uh, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Son, if you can't get happy about your name being written in heaven, I don't know what you're going to get happy about. Heaven first, verse 21. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father. Remember verse 16. We're moving about the Father's business, so he's going to send gratitude where gratitude belongs. And no man knoweth who the Son of Man is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Verse 23, And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. Only if Sodom would have seen. Only if Tyre and Sidon would have been a part of this, they would have been in repentance. Are you grateful for what you have? Verse 23, blessed are the eyes. Verse 24, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired. Do you understand this, church? They've desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Here's the tools. Number one, 
the tool of representation. This is it. You're still getting out in just a couple minutes. Calm down. Look at me. <laughs> you just preached last, mes- last week's message again. And I did. You're right. <laughs> this, is the, this is the new part. <laughs> Here's the point. I hope that you're ready. I hope that the priority is clear to you. And that you're ready to be equipped to accomplish this work. So representation, verse 16, these are very simple, but yet overlooked. What is a tool when I go out there that I have? You know what I'm saying? Like all this construction going on around here. You know, Charles didn't just put those two by fours together and just lean them in place. (laughs) You know, the bathroom's done. No, Charles had a nail gun and a compressor and a drill. And he used those tools to build something. So I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that, okay, you all have your priorities right, you're ready to go out and reach everybody, and then I'm not going to give you any tools to go do that work. You understand? The tools, number one, the first tool, drill or nail gun, is representation. Understand this. We represent Jesus. That could be one of the greatest tools. When you represent Jesus, you're representing a humble servant. If you struggle being kind at work, remember the first tool of who you're representing. Will that fix the problem? Will that start building the process of sharing the gospel when you understand that your first tool is representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Oh, my tool of the gospel is I'm representing Jesus? Well, then I need to represent him with my language. I need to represent him in my marriage. I need to represent him in my children. Remember Psalms? Our children are arrows in our quiver that we fire at the devil. How we doing representing Jesus? How's that tool working? Some of y'all, that that battery done died a long time ago. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And you need to take that battery and put it on the charge. How many know how to get your representation tool down? This kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. When was the last time you read the word of God in the morning to start your day? When was the last time you prayed? Your tool of evangelism to get you to these priorities is I'm representing Jesus. And on the, on the flip side of that, when troubles come, I'm sorry, I'm spitting. When those things happen, understand this. They're happening against him and not against you. Don't take it personally. That's the tool. Jesus said, I'm coming because my father sent me. You're going because I'm sending you. Hey, church, it's okay. Don't internalize that rejection. I did sales for a while, building like lead generation teams and stuff like that. And you know, the number one thing that caused a high turnover rate in that was rejection. And all y'all are the reason. You know, when salespeople come up, "Ah!" I want none of that. I mean, some people would get downright violent. You know what I'm saying? Don't you talk to me. Uh Uh-uh. I know you're trying to sell me something. (laughs) Jeez. No, I'm just, (laughs) have a nice day. (laughs) No joke. People get that rude in sales, right? So the hardest thing, and it's similar in evangelism. The hardest thing is rejection. Church, they're not rejecting you. And if Sodom had had it, I think we, they could have experienced the same revival because the name of Jesus is powerful. Amen. Some of y'all need to get excited about who you're representing. And some of y'all need to rest in that a little bit and understand that that is why you're not evangelizing anymore. Man, every time I try to share, mm, they'd be mean to me. <laughs> I know I'm a mess. Listen, they're not being mean to you. In your marriage, this this is a tool. I could spend all week on this tool. When your wife comes at you, I'm representing Jesus. I mean, that would look real good, wouldn't it? (laughs) Bubble, bubble woman. I'm Jesus. You know that's what the word said. Pastor said it on Sunday. I'm representing Jesus. How are you gonna say it again? Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Within reason, okay. Jesus wouldn't have done what you just did five minutes ago, is what she should say, right? Uh-huh. You weren't representing him then, were you? <laughs> like, <laughs> Moving on. The tool. 
Representation. The second tool. We find it right there in verse number 20. Look at it real quick. I ain't got much time. I have two minutes. Verse 20, right there. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice. Not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name. Oh. It's written in heaven. Number two, the tool of restoration. I mean, I could do like 10 laps and really get, and I may, I still may. You have been restored. When you hurt, when you feel, when you approach those people who are nasty and hating and you're just evangelizing, Jesus told them, if they don't feed you, go out, kick off the dust off your feet and understand judgment is going to come just as hard, if not harder on them. Why? Because they're rejecting number one tool, Jesus. And number two, guess what will keep you moving? Guess what will keep you happy? Guess what will make you return and ready to go out again? The fact that your name is written in heaven. Woo! Son, have we forgotten that it's not about our three score and ten on this earth? Have we forgotten that it's not about our performance at work? Have we forgotten that it's not about this marriage that's only going to last 40 to 60 years on earth? It's about the marriage supper of the Lamb where all eternity we will be with Jesus. If you could just grab hold of that tool and pick it up, you would build something. Every day I wake up and stare like James 5 says into the perfect law of liberty. I think it's 5. And I see a man that's been restored. I see the grace of God on my life and I'm like, thank you, God. My children are being raised in a home to believe the Bible and to believe God. We have been restored. I'm not going into an unrestored, unregenerated world, unregenerated. I'm going in fixed, trying to fix them. And a lot of you are going in broken. You're going in from the perspective of your humanity. You're going in from the perspective of your flesh and all of your things that you've done wrong. Remember that He's done everything right. It's not about you. It's about who you're representing. And when you represent Him well, you're going to live that restored life. Man, that's an amazing tool. Why aren't we doing evangelism? Because we haven't picked up that tool of restoration. Your testimony is the most amazing thing that you have. Your story. Tell it. You're going to heaven. Those poor folks don't even know that there's a heaven yet. They haven't even turned the corner on the fact that it could exist. They're still in the gray space of, I could have evolved. I could have a... Brother, sister, cousin that's ain't like me, you know what I'm saying? Ooh, ah, I don't know. You have been restored. Number three, last tool. I think that was more than two minutes. No, we're doing good. These are not the droids you're looking for. Number three, revelation. Look at verse 21 through 24. I could get just as happy about this one. Verse 21 through 24, in that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, the gratitude, right? That thou hast hid. Turn your neighbor and say, it's hidden. Turn your neighbor and say, it's hidden. We don't get the implications of this tool. Mm. You've been restored. Your name is written in heaven. But what do they see? They don't see it at all. Look at, look at right there, 21. Hid these things from the wise and prudent. And hast, what's that next word? Revealed. Revealed. Turn to your neighbor and say, I see the light. <laughs> like you mean it. Say, I see the light. <laughs> say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Look at it right there in the text. Revealed unto babes. Church, church, look, look at me. Let, me. let me land the plane here. The third tool is revelation. This has been revealed to you. In context, Jesus says, like a baby sees it and, and Gandhi doesn't. Do you, I'm, I'm just saying some really wise dude, right? We could put anybody's name in that. A baby sees it. And the parents don't. Do you understand? When we're talking about this gospel work, the tool that you have is revelation. I hear this. This is very practical. 
I hear a lot of people say, I don't know what to say. They just come up with these arguments when I talk about Jesus, and it's just like all this stuff. It's not about what you say. It's about what you see. Some of y'all need to think about that for a little while. When it comes to evangelism, it's not about what you say. It's about what you see. The Holy Spirit of God has revealed heaven unto you. You're going to get up in the morning and you're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You hear what I said? You're going to do that, okay? All right. <laughs> but the point is, is you're going to do that because you see it. So here's what it is. Understand this. If someone is lost, they don't what? They don't see it. Remember that whole curb stomping Satan and serpents and I've given you power to do that? The tool is this. You understand that the devil... His work is a work of deception. His work is a work of covering the eyes of those so that they don't see it. Your work and the Holy Spirit's work through you is a work of illumination. Turn the light on and everyone what? Sees. Church? Woo! Representation. That's where you start. I represent Jesus because I understand that this isn't a knowledge issue. It's a visual issue. It's an eye gate issue. They don't see it. Stop trying to convince someone two plus two equals four. They're never going to get there. You're asking someone to believe in eternity. How do we even fathom that after we've seen it? That's difficult, right? And I understand apologetics, and I can help walk through some of those nuances of why I believe what I believe. I've studied to show that self-approved on the God of work, meaning not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth, right? The Bible does say that, and I'm good with that. But I'm telling you, You'll come back with joy in your evangelism when you realize that you're not fighting a head issue. It's a heart issue. I'm representing Jesus. From that point of me representing Jesus, I'm understanding that I'm restored and that I have seen it. I have revelation. So here's what I'm asking you to do, something real practical. Will you pray for those that are around you that are lost? That God will show them. God, the devil is actively working to blind the eyes of my coworkers, to blind the eyes of my family members, to blind the eyes maybe of someone here that has not trusted in Jesus Christ. God, help me to be a good representation of who you are, that good example of who Jesus is. And God, help me as I live a restored life to bring revelation into their lives. That's what God wants to do. What we do, we evangelize. How does God do that? He uses those three tools. I hope it was helpful. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Before I talk to you people who are already saved and trusting in the Lord.